First Corinthians uh, chapter 10 kind of leads us to uh, the continuing uh, promises that God brings to us, and he does promise us escape from sin. And it's something that I've been thinking about, and I was reflecting on this passage uh, that is right here in uh, 1 Corinthians, written to the Corinthian church. And what you have here is some very important instruction and some reminders for us. You know, one of the things you and I, the Word of God helps us, it says, would you remember these things so you can learn? You know, the past is there for you and I to learn. Can you see a minute of that? And then we want to live in the present. I mean, that's really, Jesus keeps saying, live right now here today. And that our future is hopeful because we're going to be in heaven. Can you see a minute of that? And there's a lot of hope for tomorrow. But unfortunately, we tend to kind of mess up and we take the past and we kind of bring it into our present and then it kind of gets projected. And, you know, the whole idea, like someone says, well, you know, the best predictor of the future is the past. Well, that might be true because Jesus is resurrected. He ascended, to, he ascended into heaven. And our future, predicted by Jesus, is absolutely amazing. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, we've got heaven to wait for us. But here's some instruction for us, some warnings about how it is that we escape from sin. And the way it begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a little bit of a history lesson, a little bit of review. Look with me, starting at verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Now these things, which we're about to talk about, took place as examples for us. So examples, you know, instruction, lessons, something to learn from. That we might not desire evil as they did. So I want to remind you that we don't want to be like what we're about to share. Because we want to be different. Can you say amen to that? And so we're going to look at this and it says, So, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as is written. Okay, here's a couple uh, historical facts. Number one. The people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. Now, you look at that, it's kind of almost like, well, eat, drink, and play? I mean, that sounds like a movie, amen? I mean, that sounds like, that could be, you know, like, sure, I mean, having a good meal and enjoying, well, in this case, I got my tea, uh, you know, having, you know, playing, you know, enjoying. I mean, playing's a good thing. Can you see a of that? But see, the problem here is that's not what they're talking about. Because what they're reflecting on is a time when they, God's people had been given the Ten Commandments. And they just, an amazing release from bondage. An amazing victory, a miracle of God. And when God does it a miracle, what do you do? Yes. Well, eat, drink, and play. <laughs> the idea is to worship God. Yeah. And these people didn't do that. Instead, they created a graven image. You remember one of the commandments was that you shall have no image? You know, in other words, and that's, that is something, you know, when you grow up in a, in a synagogue or a temple like I did, you know, the kind of stuff we have, you have nothing like that. Uh, we don't have that much, and that's partly because that's probably me. But the idea of having images, like you'll go to some other place and they got all kinds of statues, things like that, Well, that's something that God said don't do because you end up worshiping the statue rather than worshiping the Lord. Can you say amen to that? I mean, we want to worship God. So these people got themselves in trouble. So they started, they dishonored because they were claiming 
to God, we're worshiping you. But, but they weren't. They really weren't. And so they dishonored the Lord, and they got themselves in trouble. Number two, we must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Now, you read that, and you think, are we still talking about the same thing? No, we're, but here's the thing. I don't know if you know this. We're talking about the same group of people. The same group of people that got in trouble the first time with the golden calf now are repeating their mistake, and they're worshiping the God of Baal, which involved sexuality. Because when you worship the God of Baal, if you, you're in an agricultural society, and so you want to have good crops, you go to a temple prostitute, essentially. You have relationships, and that somehow guarantees you, you know, you're going to have good crops. That's kind of the mechanism, and of course, some really ugly things with human sacrifice going on as well. And this is all going on just after they've just been told, don't do that. And so the consequences were pretty significant. So we're being warned. I mean, how many times is it that you and I have been told by God not to do something, and then we do it again? Now, don't raise your hand. We've got a video going here right now. We'll turn that into heaven. So, repeated sin. There's consequences to ongoing sin. Because the wage of sin is what? So don't be surprised by this, right? It's like, okay, this is scriptural. And then number three, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Now, to those who were listening at this time, they knew exactly what this was talking about because they connected right away, but this time it's connecting to, to Jesus Christ. We must not put Jesus Christ to the test, as some of them did in the past, and, these re- and they were destroyed by serpents. So immediately, the listeners are going, aha, this is when we were all complaining about manna. You remember, they were in the, wall, the wilderness, and, they, and God gave them a miracle, the miracle of food every day, three times a day, manna. Wouldn't you be excited about oatmeal three times a day for years? I had someone complaining, why do you always say oatmeal? Because I love oatmeal. Yeah, you love oatmeal, but three times a day for 20 years, probably not. (laughs) But they're complaining. God is doing, I mean, how often do we complain about God, God, can't you do a different miracle today? I'm tired of this miracle. You know, the miracle that you've done, and I think sometimes we, we're testing God's patience, and we get a complaining attitude. And so he's saying, there's a temptation. I want you to start seeing the temptations here a little bit differently than normal because we're, we often talk about some of the temp- big temptations, but there are some the temptations of taking God for granted or becoming impatient because he keeps doing the same thing. Number four, nor grumble. This is one of my favorites, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Wow. So they're grumbling. See, here's what I like is what they're grumbling about. They're grumbling about their pastor. <laughs> and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Can you see a minute of that? <laughs> hey, just saying... They were complaining about their leadership, Moses and Aaron. And, of course, this happened several times, and God said, finally, enough already. Time out, guys. You've got to learn. 
you can't be grumbling like this because that's not how this thing works. And so God brought about uh, consequences to them. And so here's, this is all being said because God's saying, look, you've got to learn from this stuff. Now look what it says. Now these things happen to them as an example, right? It's going on right there. It says, but they were written down for our instruction. Now there's kind of a parallel thought. As an example for our instruction. This is an example to teach us on whom the end of the ages has come. Well, obviously we're talking about Jesus. Therefore, having said all of this, having gone through these reminders, let anyone who thinks that he stands. In other words, let anyone thinks they got it all together. Anyone thinks that this is not their problem, this is talking to us, take heed, lest you fall. Take heed, says lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everybody, says to man here. That's really a word for everybody. You've got to love this. God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. Now say it again and mean it. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Ah, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. He made a promise to us that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from, run away from adultery. So temptation, interesting subject, right? Temptation is something that comes into every believer's life. Just want you to know, no one in this room is exempt. Temptations are not sinful, but sin comes when we give in to the temptation. So just because you have temptation doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Let me, let me say it this way. It's because you're human. Now, if you're here and you're not human, that would make sense. And that's, you know, you know I, I get that. But we are all human beings. Therefore, we will all face temptation. So don't be discouraged by that. In other words, the idea is to understand, well, here's some weaknesses, so I'm going to turn them over to God so I can resist them, I can grow and be a, be a better human being. So this is good information for us. This is how we can improve. You see, I think one of the important things is to recognize temptation when it comes and to see it. I was thinking about what, is, what would be, if I could say this, what's the secret to resisting temptation. And I got two things I want to share with you. Number one, recognize the source of the temptation. Where is it coming from? I think that's important. What's the source? And then number two, recognize the strength of the temptation. Because some temptations are more intense than others. And where they're coming from is different. Sometimes we face temptation that comes right from the devil. It's a spiritual evil kind of temptation. Sometimes it comes because of our culture. Sometimes it comes because of what's in us. There's a number, so we recognize the source so we can properly deal with it, and then we understand the strength of it, because some of them it's like, it's a no-brainer, you just don't do it. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I felt tempted, I'm done, move on, nothing happens. But sometimes that's not the case. God says, I promise to give my people the strength to resist. Now, what's interesting is the word used here for temptation. It's a Greek word. The Greek word is peazo. Peazo. Say that with me. Peazo. 
Almost could be Italian. Peazzo. No, I'm not saying pizza. Peazzo. <laughs> Peazzo. And here's what it means. If you were to look up that in your Greek dictionary, here's what the definition would be. To reveal weakness within you. To reveal weaknesses in you. So what this is saying in this word is that you and I cannot be tempted by something if the weakness isn't already inside you. Okay, let, let that sink in. This is revealing the weaknesses that already exist in you. If they're not in you, then you're not going to be tempted. And so you're learning something because if you're tempted and you fall into that, then God is saying, you know, this is an area that we need to improve on. This is an area that we need to look at. See, temptation is used by God to reveal to us the weaknesses in us. Why? So we get beat up? So we're reminded of how imperfect we are? No. So that we can be closer to Jesus. We can be healthier. We can live better. Can you say amen to that? This is not a bad thing. Temptation is something that was faced from the very beginning. You remember the Garden of Eden? Like the first kind of problem of humanity was, you know, the whole problem of Adam and Eve. Remember, they were tempted by the serpent. Now I'm not going to go into a lot of details. Genesis chapter 3, homework, read that. Read, matter of fact, read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Put them together. You ought to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 about once a month. I actually do that. I... Those are foundational passages that you ought to just kind of repeat and kind of look at. But Genesis chapter 3 for sure. And so this is the story. A surgeon comes along and says, Eve, what did God say about this tree in the middle of the garden? Eve said, well, we shouldn't eat of it. And the servant says, well, why not? See, the problem is God knows that if you eat it, you're going to be just like him. Now, there's a whole powerful statement in that. We'll talk about that when we get into our, our theology stuff here. We get into the deep dive. But I want you to just hear this. Satan's attacking the very thing that he wanted for himself. You see, Satan wanted to be God. And that's why he got kicked out. So now he's coming to Eve and saying, don't you want to be like God? I mean, that guy has been walking around. You can be just like him. And I can ease eyes light. How could I be like him? I, I want to be, be like that. I want to create things. I want to be all powerful. All you got to do is eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And everything will change. And then she takes that fruit, by the way, which is not an apple. You know, I, did anyone, like, how many times did I hear in the beginning that that was an apple? And every time I saw an apple, it triggered me. Because I love apples, and I think, oh, God, I love apples. There's something wrong with me. <laughs> it wasn't an apple. Can you say me of that? And she runs to Adam and says, Adam, oh, this is delicious. Eat this fruit. And then Adam eats it. Rather than, because I've thought about this. What, is it the sin that they ate the fruit? Absolutely. 
they disobeyed God. But I've often thought, what would have happened if Adam said and held that fruit and said, Eve, um, let's go talk to God first before I take a bite of this. You know, God's just around the corner right now. I can kind of hear his footsteps. Let's go run to him and ask him, so God, you know, this serpent was saying that you lied to us. I just, I, I don't believe that in my heart, but I'm kind of, this thing came up in my head right now. I've got a question. Is it true? I wonder what God would have said. What would have happened? I believe we'd still be in the garden. So what's the sin, ultimately, of Adam at that point? Here's something I want you to think about. I want you to process. Here's what I hear. Adam and Eve did not trust God. The enemy was able to sneak in a thought that convinced them God is not telling you the truth. That bad things aren't going to happen from this fruit. And so rather than run to God and say, God, I trust you 100%. I can't imagine you would ever say anything that would be anything but truth to me. But I heard this. I'm... I'm a little doubtful. There's kind of snuck in. Can I talk to you, God, about this? What would happen if you talked to God more often before you did what you did? What would happen if that little thing snuck in in your head and before you acted on that thought, you stopped and talked to God and said, God, I trust you so much. Before I do this, is it okay? You see, there's something very powerful about this because, yes, it was pride, but, yes, it was also not trusting God. There's a lot of big temptations, and we tend to think about it. Well, sexuality, finances, power, things like that. What about these other temptations? I see this in human beings, the temptation to be controlling to other human beings. The temptation, I want peace at any price. I will do anything for peace. And you're tempted to do whatever you feel you need to do to have peace. What about the temptation of self-reliance that you believe that I really don't need God here? This is too small. God doesn't want to be bothered by this small thing. Or the temptation of a bad attitude. You realize a bad attitude is a temptation. What would happen if you're, you're tempted to have a bad attitude and you stopped and went and talked to God first about your attitude? And said, God, is it okay for me to have a bad attitude about this right now? I know God might say, yeah, sure, go ahead. Probably not. What about the idea of you're tempted to be lazy? I don't want to do this today. I don't want to go to church today. I've had people confess to me every now and then. I, you need to know, Pastor, I, I know God told me to go to church, but I, they didn't, I just didn't want to. I said, why not? So what was your sin? Laziness. <laughs> Just seemed too hard. Gossip's a big one. We're tempted to gossip. God, I, listen, it would be so much more fun to talk to Carol than to talk to you, God. Because her reaction is so demonstrative. And boy, we so great to tell her about what just happened to this person in the church. Because I'd feel better if I could just share it. Because talking to you is not enough. Whoa. 
You see, it's interesting you think about the temptation to gossip. You know, there, there's a lot of things that we're tempted to do and to fall into, and I think it boils down to something I want you to walk out of here thinking about. It boils down to trusting in the Lord or not trusting in the Lord. For example, how often have you sinned and then gone to God to apologize and repent, and you've said the words, God, I'm sorry, I want to repent of not trusting in you as opposed to repenting of the action you just did. See, we're really good at repenting for the actions we just took. God, forgive me. I gave in and I had that drink. Forgive me for drinking. As opposed to, God, forgive me for not trusting you at that moment when I wanted to take that drink and I was tempted to take that drink and I didn't trust you to remove those feelings to change what was going inside of my body. Listen, when we're tempted, doesn't mean you're evil, it just means you're human. I want to make that clear. This is just part of being human, and God promised to help us. I've had people say to me, I said, why did you do that? And I've actually heard this not that long ago. Well, I, I couldn't help myself. I said, what does that mean? Well, I felt compelled to do it. Really? Were you talking to God? Well, I felt like I had no choice. The temptation was so great. I had to give in. How many times have I heard that about people trying to quit smoking? My body was screaming for nicotine. Well, no, I don't doubt that because it isn't a very addictive chemical and it's very hard to quit smoking. But do you trust God to help you quit? I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but there's a way through it. I mean, there are some things that I think the honesty that we need about what's going on inside of us is really important. See, I believe we're not generally honest people towards ourselves. You might be honest to other people, but you're not really, sometimes we struggle in our own self-honesty, our own self-awareness. Like, I don't think we always know what's going on inside of us because I don't think we're really in tune to what's happening. Most, a lot of human beings that I talk to are not really aware of what's going on inside of them. And they, they just don't see what God's doing and they don't see what's happening in them. Here's something I've learned that God will never put more on us than he puts in us to overcome it. You hear me? He will give us the strength regardless, but we have to trust him. You know, if, listen, no one's going to ever be sinless. I was thinking about that. You know, only God, Jesus was perfect. So, but that's not a fatalistic view that says, well, gee, if I can't be sinless, then uh, I guess that's it. So I, ch I rewrote the word in my notes. We can be sin, S-I-N, dash, L-E-S-S. We can sin less. You get that? Okay, come on. Say amen to that. Right? We're going to have a poster on that one. That's good. So what do we do? What can we do? I'd like to suggest a few things here that we can do. These are, I, I think, lifelines. I, I wrote in my notes here, here's some lifelines of how we can deal with the things that we're talking about to overcome temptation. The first one I wanted to mention is refuse to be intimidated. 
You know, there is a, there's, there's a, a world out there, there's a culture, there's a society, there is evil forces, there is the devil that wants to intimidate us. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. So that you can stand against the devil's schemes, against the devil's plans, against the devil's strategy. The devil wants to bring you down. There is an evil force around that. Let's recognize we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a cultural battle. We are in a self-battle. Absolutely. And what happens is, and I think where we make our mistake is we start off, we deny. We're in denial. Well, there is no, I mean, how people say, well, there is no spirit. That's ridiculous. I don't believe in that spiritual stuff. They're like, and they're in denial. I had someone like, just in the whole idea of temptation, because this person said to me, how could I have thought of that? And then follow up. Haven't I outgrown this temptation? I mean, am I ever going to get to the place where nothing tempts me anymore? No. Because temptation is part of being a human being. But it's what you do with that temptation. You see, the more we grow, so I'm going to say something dangerous. The closer you get to God, the more committed you become, the more the devil wants to work on you. And I've said this in the past. I had someone actually honest enough to say to me, well, I don't know if I want to grow that much because the devil's going to come after me more. Does that mean if I don't grow and I don't do X, Y, Z, then the devil will leave me alone? All right, well, thank you. You must have been in that conversation. (laughs) But it feels that way. And then we move into despair because it's like, how come I, I mean, does anyone like feel that it's, how come I keep sinning this way? Right? I mean, you kind of feel despair. And then you're discouraged. Am I ever going to change? The answer is yes. Absolutely. There's hope. That change is possible. Remember, the sin is when we give in to the temptation. The Bible even says, you know, Jesus was tempted. I think sometimes some of us feel guilty because we're tempted. I mean, for example, how many of you now be honest, you don't have to say anything or raise your hands, but how many how many of you ever prayed? You or you're praying to God, you're having this really amazing prayer moment and you're kneeling and you're like, oh, you're all about talking to God and all of a sudden this gross idea fills your mind right in the middle of prayer. Oh, thank you for nodding your heads. It's happened to me. It's like all of a sudden you're you're praying, you're calling out to God and all of a sudden you get this, why am I thinking this right now? Well, I think the devil put a thought in your head. I think the devil wants to stop you from praying. I think there's an evil force. See, when God gives us ideas, I call it inspiration. When the devil gives me ideas, I call it temptation. But you don't have to act on it. Okay, so you understand something. The Christian life is a battle. We're at war. That's why we see words in the Bible, fight, conquer, strive, battle, overcome, victory. War terms. I've had people say, I don't like all these war terms. We are in a battle. You get tempted, we need to recognize where it comes from, and then we need to stand up against the imitation, the, the, you know, how the devil wants to intimidate us, and because we know we're in a battle. So one of the things you need to learn to do is activate the EPS system. The emergency prayer system. <laughs> 
All right, lights go off, sirens are sounding, prayer, 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 right? We should do that. Wouldn't that be great? You have like a fire alarm system and all the lights flash off. We could have a button and all of a sudden the lights go off and we hear the recording. Prayer, call to prayer, 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 warning, right? All those, that would be great. I like that idea. We'll do that sometime. I was thinking of the EMS system, right? Emergency medical system. Well, we have the emergency prayer system. Listen to Psalm 5015. Call to me when, you're in, when trouble comes. Let me say that again. Call to me, underline when trouble comes. Okay? doesn't say any what kind. Just when trouble comes, call to God. And look at what it says. And I will save you. And you'll praise me. So it's really simple. God, help. I need your help in this. I am feeling temptation. Help. I have this ugly thought in my head. I haven't acted out on it yet. But before I do, God, eh, emergency prayer system. Activate. Look what it says in Hebrews. Jesus, I mean, he had the same temptations we go through. And never once did he give in to sin. So let us come boldly, underline boldly, to God and find grace to help in our time of need. Grace to help us. It's simple. God's talking to us. Ask me. Call on me. Do it boldly. Don't hesitate anytime. The good thing about the emergency prayer system, it's available 24-7, 365 days, forever. Okay, now, here's a big one that I want you to nail down. It's refocus our thoughts on the Lord. James 1.13, it talks about temptation is the pull of your own evil thoughts and wishes. Lee's evil thoughts lead to evil actions. Underline thoughts. Okay, you really need to get this. I want you to listen carefully to me. Thoughts, thoughts is where the temptation begins. Oftentimes, the biggest battle where the devil's going to trap you is to get you to think a bad thought. Our thoughts are the keys to our emotions. See, a lot of times we think that's reverse. You know, somehow my emotions, you know, control my thoughts. Your thoughts control your emotions. That's how God designed your brain and how it works. See, your thoughts can overcome your moods and your emotions. You see, the heart, when the word of God says the heart and the mind of a human being, what are we talking about? The brain. Trust me, we're not talking about this muscle here. We're talking about what happens inside this amazing creative technology that God created in you between your ears, and that's where this, the work of our thoughts and our emotions all take place. And the Word of God is telling us is that what we think is critical yes. to our success. Yes. This is biblical. This isn't psychological. This is the biblical Word of God. Listen, Jesus, Jesus, read Matthew chapter 4. I'm not going to read it to you right now, but remember he was in the desert. And he was struggling with uh, the devil, right? Towards the end, the devil came to tempt him. And so the three things, you know, I, I looked at what is the system for temptation. I, I won't go into a lot of detail, but attention, arousal, and action. Those are the three things that we listed up there. Attention. 
So the devil comes to try to get Jesus' attention. And then he tries to create arousal and get Jesus to take action. Now in this case, what does this mean? Hey, Jesus, are you hungry? Well, duh, I've been fasting for 40 days. So are you hungry? Well, if you're hungry, he gets, you know, he's getting his attention. Well, listen, why don't you turn these stones to bread? There's nothing wrong with that. You're God. Transform these stones into bread. You're hungry. Bread will satisfy you. Go ahead. I mean, this is just a good thing. See, here's something that I found interesting. Often temptation is based on a legitimate need. This, this is real. I mean, this is the humanity. Jesus was human. He was hungry. But the, it's the temptation to, to fulfill a legitimately need in an illegitimate way. I have a need. I'm going to take care of that need the wrong way. And so at this moment, the devil was saying, go ahead, fulfill a real need, doing it the wrong way. Turn these stones into bread. So what did Jesus say? He, didn't, he wasn't in denial. He didn't say, well, I'm not hungry anyway, so get it, forget it. He looked at the devil and said, Satan, just get out of here and don't tempt me. He spoke directly to the, temp, to the tempter who was trying to bring about the temptation. So here's why I want you to hear this. He didn't deny his hunger. He didn't resist the temptation. He resisted the tempter. Are you following me? Sometimes we get ourselves on the wrong focus. See, nowhere in Scripture does it say resist. Does it say, it says resist the temptation? Does it say that? No, it says resist the devil. Resist the the tempter. Resist what's behind the temptation. Are you with me? That's important. So, the Word of God is telling us is that we can battle this, but let's get to... That's why I said in the beginning, what's the source? Resist the source. Too often we don't take care of the source and we get trapped on this, the temptation. I'm, I'm going to resist the temptation. Oh, I'm not going to let this happen. Oh, thought, get out of my head. Rather than saying, Satan, get behind me. So it's what we call the replacement principle. You know, this is scripture, Proverbs 4.23. Listen carefully. This is important now. We're coming around the bend here. Be careful how you think. I want to say that again. Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Did God actually say that? Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Here's the deal. Think good thoughts, have good actions. Now, ready? Hold on. This is heavy theology. Think bad thoughts and have bad actions. Wow. You can control what you think. Your thoughts determine your emotions. And your emotions will determine your actions. But you get to choose. I've had people argue with me. No, you get to choose, really. That's how God created us. Listen, 
I'm not done with you. Philippians chapter 4. Listen to this. I'm going to read from the message. It is so cool. You can read and say the same thing. But the message just nails it. Summing it all up, my friends. I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things, ready, that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. There's the word of God telling us what you think is really important. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you've heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. I love that word. Unity, peace. Thinking is a big deal. God's word talks a lot about thinking. If you start reading the Bible and start thinking how many times does the Word of God talk about your thoughts, you're going to be amazed. Now, it's important because one of your lifelines is phone a friend. Right? We need to reveal our struggles to someone that we trust in our life. Everyone needs at least one person that you can talk to. And it needs to be someone other than the person you're married to. See, a lot of times we put so much on the person that we're married to, it's overwhelming. Every human being in this room needs at least one other person they can talk to, in addition to uh, their mates. Maybe in addition to your parents. You have one other person in your life, a good person. Because if you don't have a person like that... Listen to me as your pastor. You're in trouble. Listen to the word of God. You're in trouble. God never meant for us to live life alone and to hold on to all this ourselves. I've learned something about emotions because if you don't talk about them, and instead, let me use this metaphor, if you swallow your emotions, here's what I've learned. Your stomach keeps score. Our sympathetic nervous system remembers And when you swallow the emotions and keep them contained within you, you are going to be affected physically by those emotions. They are going to get you. And so if we don't talk out our emotions, our emotions will take it out on us. See, there's this crazy misconception that once you become a Christian, all you need is Jesus. Someone told me, I don't need anything else. I have Jesus. Well, yeah, absolutely you have Jesus, but that's just not true. We need Jesus, and we need each other. That's why we have this thing called church. Because if God didn't think we needed each other, he would have said, receive, believe, and receive in me. And then go in your home, don't ever come out again. (laughs) Go hide out and don't hang out with other human beings, other than to tell them about Jesus. But don't ever say anything. Only talk to me. Only talk to me. I'm the only person you should ever talk to. It doesn't say that. You know, I I think there's this crazy myth and falsehood and misconception that somehow, and someone actually said this to me. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian now, and everything's taken care of, and, you know, I'm not supposed to have any problems, so I'm acting like I don't have any problems. 
Well, that's just not true. Someone said, well, aren't, aren't I supposed to be perfect now that I'm a Christian? We're all shaking our heads, no. I mean, you didn't even think. You just started moving your head back and forth. That was an unconscious response at that point. Absolutely, it's not true. So it says in James 5, 16, admit your sins to each other. It says, and it says, and pray for each other that you may be what? Say that word with me. Healed. Admit, underline that word. Admit your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. Revealing our feelings and our sins is the beginning of healing. That's where it starts. I've had every now and then someone will say to me these words, Pastor, I have never ever said this to anybody in the whole world, but I want to share this with you. That's like music to my ears. Because when I hear someone saying that, I know something miraculous is about to happen. Because they're going to speak something, and freedom is just on the verge of their life. Release is about to come. Because they're about to say something that they've been holding inside of themselves for such a long time. They finally, it's a privileged place when someone believes they can trust you enough and say something that is perhaps so embarrassing or so vulnerable, but to say it is going to bring freedom. To hold it, it's going to torture you. It's going to stay inside of you. And the Word of God makes it very clear. If you can't talk about a problem, then that problem is going to control you. Guaranteed. Now, I just, I think it's important. It says, resist the devil, James 4, 7. Give in to God, then resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Do you see that? Number one, give in to God. Give up. Give in to God. And then, resist the source, the devil. And he'll run away from you. That's really good. I mean, you resist him, he's going to go away. You know, it's amazing how this thing works. God says, I'm, gonna, I'm even going to give you tools and weapons to help you, right? Accept salvation from God to be your helmet and receive the word of God to use as a sword, Ephesians six seventeen. So here's what it's saying. Number one, you need a helmet, the helmet of salvation, because it protects your mind. Number two, you need the sword, the word of God, because it arms you with truth. So here's the scripture, listen, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, put on the helmet. Number two, the truth will set you free, the sword, the word of God. Can you say amen to that? So when you fill your mind with God's truth, it releases power inside of you. It releases power. There's a fight, and God is there in the fight. You and I, I am so hopeful for us because of what God can do if we can hold on to this truth. 